0: What is up, hockey fans, and welcome on into the latest installment of the Mile High Sports Colorado Avalanche AMA. I am filling in for Miss Kim Becker alongside Arif Dean. Be sure to follow him online at Run Right Arif. I'm at Media by AP. Arif is holding everything down for us online when it comes to our coverage of the Colorado Avalanche, host of the Hockey Mountain High podcast, obviously writing all the great articles and whatnot, and uh, he was in attendance at last night's game. So we'll cycle through a few questions and also a handful of big talking points in the world of Colorado Avalanche hockey. And it's certainly been a little bit of a roller coaster ride over the last two or three weeks or so. Uh, The high of the highs, the lows of the lows, we'll break it all down here. And be sure to get those questions in each and every week when Arif puts out his tweet, at Arif. And away we go. Kim Becker will be back next week. But what's going on, my man? An exciting game to cover last night, I'd imagine.
1: Yeah. Uh, honestly, exciting might not even be the word to say it because it was kind of goal, goal, goal. And then the atmosphere. We Everybody knew the Avalanche were going to come away with two points after those early goals. And it was kind of a dud of a game in terms of excitement. But in terms of the result, uh, getting your top guys rested, getting two points in the standings and doing it in, in great fashion. It was exactly what the Avalanche needed.
0: Yeah, a six to nothing victory. And look, San Jose is not the team they once were. They're definitely in a struggle this year. Uh, only 19 wins on the year for them right now. The Avalanche with 35. And uh, on the radio show with my guys, Cody Rourke, Danny Bailey, and all them, like we like at the end of the show, we're like, who's scoring tonight? And like, you know, we kind of threw out a couple of different names. Uh, we each picked a different name, and all four players <laughs> ended up scoring. Uh, last night was an absolute barrage for the Colorado Avalanche. Get, uh, goals for Kel McCarr. Nice to see him get back in the group. Valma Tushkin, and McKinnon. And a handful of other players as well. Uh, what was the energy like? Set the scene for us in Ball Arena last night and really, uh, you know, kind of a strong way for the Avalanche to snap that losing skid.
1: Yeah, it was the game kind of started a little bit slow. Neither team had a shot for the first, I want to say, two, two and a half minutes before Colorado started to kind of get rolling. At the four minute mark, I think the shots were one nothing for the Avs. So not really much going on. But then they got a goal and they right. got another one. Then they got a third one. They outshot them 19 to two. They had a 21 or 22 to two shot advantage when it was four to nothing. They had a 24 to three or four shot advantage when it was five, nothing. And they just kind of ran away with the game. I mean, the, the mood around the team and the atmosphere was look like the San Jose Sharks, like you said, at 19 wins, only team in the NHL without 20 wins. They played the night before, which I know is a funny stat because there's like a couple of them with exactly 20 and they're the only ones at 19. So, you know, just picking an arbitrary number there, but it was, you know, the, the sharks had played the night before. It's funny enough. They had beaten the Winnipeg jets in overtime, uh, which was, you know, helpful for the avalanche granted Winnipeg continues to fall. They had beaten the Winnipeg jets in overtime. They were traveling. They got in late from Winnipeg. So they had to go through customs. They got in really late to Denver. They didn't have a morning skate. The avalanche were rested Colorado. The last, Three weeks has played four back to backs where they were the team that traveled to face a rested team. Mm-hmm. They find and they were three zero and one in those games. The only 0-1 was the Seattle game a couple days ago on Monday that they or on Sunday that they blew it late. Otherwise, they would have went four and zero. But the Avalanche having the opportunity to be the rested team and face a team traveling. With only 19 wins, coming from Canada, going over the border, over customs, playing the night before, being one of the worst teams in the NHL already, and then selling at the deadline. It was a game where everybody in that dressing room knew, like, we're going to get two points here. We have to do it. Uh, It's just a matter of how we do it. And how they did it was the ability to pile it on early. No forward played more than 16 minutes and 14 seconds. No forward played fewer than 11 minutes and 48 seconds. They were able to roll their lines, roll the defense, get everybody involved. No crazy hits, no crazy injuries. You know, Curtis McDermott took a little tumble, so we'll see on him, but none of the top guys got into any kind of a physical, you know, matchup where they might be hurt or might be dinged up outside of Ranton and getting hit into the boards, but then getting right back up and scoring. Um, So it was exactly what you needed. A very quick, easy victory with no stress, no issues, no injuries. Just take the victory and move on to the next one. That's what they needed, and that's what they did.
0: Yeah, I think you hit on the mark with the, the, the stress word. Like, I mean, that was, like you said, it was, for lack of a better phrase, an avalanche of goals from them early on. And really, you were able to, you know, you mentioned kind of the playing time and the ice time for some of these guys. And obviously, that's critical for a team that has to deal with some injury problems over the course of the season. And, you know, we'll talk about some of those injuries here throughout the program. But before we get into some of these questions, the, you know, I kind of started out saying the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows. So we had a six-game winning streak, you know, in the middle of February there followed by a three-game losing streak to the Devils, the Stars, and Seattle, which is obviously fresh in everybody's mind before the game last night against San Jose. It's not easy to quantify – but like, what do you attribute that swing to? Like, how could a team go from playing so well, so locked in, maybe getting some good breaks, you know, with the six game winning streak and then just collapsing three games in a row, allowing 14 games in two games or 14 goals in two games at one point and then losing in overtime into Seattle. How do you kind of attribute the the swing there for the avalanche over the last handful of weeks?
1: So in New Jersey, not to kind of pile on Eustace in and in, but right, if, yeah. if that's any other goalie, you're winning that game the avalanche had their game they you know they were down 5 to i mean they they were, they were bad early like let's not let's not sugarcoat it they were bad early the when the new jersey devils took advantage of those breakdowns uh and beat the goalie every single chance they got uh it was 5-1 you blink twice you open your eyes it's 5-4 Then the Devils were able to make it 6-4, Colorado made it 6-5, then the empty netter. So they were like right on the cusp of tying it up every single time. When it was 5-4, they had two or three really golden opportunities that were all stopped by the goalie. So they had their chance to tie it. They couldn't quite get there. The Dallas game was the one that is the biggest issue, and we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about why that is later on here in in the segment, but... In the Dallas game, that was proof that the Western Conference is a very heavy physical conference. Right. They might not have the skill and the attack that the East has this year. They may have not made those big moves at the deadline that the Eastern Conference did. But teams like Dallas added guys like Max Domi that play a more physical brand of hockey, and they already play a physical brand of hockey. And Colorado is already without their captain, Gabe Landeskog, who plays exactly that, a physical brand of hockey. And then they were also out Josh Manson, who was out of the lineup for the second time. Val Nichushkin, who was incredible yesterday against the San Jose Sharks, missed that game with an illness, so he didn't fly to Dallas. So you lost three of your bigger, more physical bodies from the lineup. Well, two, and obviously gave the entire season. And uh, Dallas handed it to you. If anything, the game against Dallas was the wake-up call that, hey, you know, we, we like they're sitting back and thinking we are the Colorado Avalanche. Nathan McKinnon is playing incredible hockey right now. Kel McCarr is back in the groove. Uh, you know, our goalie is one of the best in the NHL this year. Bowen Byram has found it. Miko Rantanen's got 42 goals. But if we don't show up and play that physical game against teams like Dallas, they're going to put us on our behinds, and we're going to lose this series quick if we play them. So – that game was the was the wake-up call. The Seattle game was just a very strange, a little like, funky, very funky back to back. game. Back-to-back, back, not a lot of good passes throughout the game. Just a sloppy hockey game on both ends. I don't know if the ice conditions were bad. We didn't really ask the players. But it ultimately ended because of a very unfortunate but also unlike him turnover from Nathan McKinnon late in regulation. And then in overtime, it's a coin flip. You win the face off, you control the puck, you're probably going to win. And that's what Seattle did. So of the three games, it's the Dallas game that sticks out. It's just unfortunate the way it piles on. You play your backup goalie, he gets lit up, then you go into Dallas and you have that game, that red flag. And then you come back against Seattle, you have that lead late in regulation and then things just kind of unravel in like a two, three minute span. So the Dallas game's the one that's unfortunate. The Avalanche already had a stretch like this earlier on in February where they lost that close game to Pittsburgh in overtime after leading late in regulation. Then they got like, their butts kicked in Tampa Bay 5 nothing, and then they came back to Denver, had a lead against Tampa Bay and then lost it in the shootout. So they already had a similar stretch th- to that, but then they came out of 1-6 straight and yesterday was kind of the, the exact type of game you need to break out of that funk and get going
0: yeah you know we'll see how they shake out moving forward games against the kings on thursday they take on the coyotes on saturday and then we move on to the next week with games against a handful of canadian teams montreal toronto and ottawa but let's dive into that
1: that big four game road trip that's going to be the big one the montreal toronto ottawa detroit i'll be at two of those games but that's going to be the tough one that's going to be the one that with that back-to-back mixed in you don't want to fall behind there
0: Right. Yeah. No, we'll definitely keep an eye on it. Like I said, it's been a kind of a whirlwind of a season for Colorado and we'll see what they can do here down the stretch, but uh, let's dive into some of these questions, my man, and be sure to tweet at Arif Dean at run, right Arif each and every week when we do these AMAs, So that way you can get your question in and uh, we're going to talk a lot about the injuries and let's start with the big guy, the captain Gabriel Landis. Do you think the team is overselling that Landy might not return this season at least? And obviously, there's been kind of a question mark. I feel like I've had you on the radio show probably a dozen times over the course of this season, and this question always comes up. Uh, a little status update on, on Gabriel Bielandeskog. Do you think that they're playing a little safe? Where, where do you think the team's at with him?
1: They have no reason to bluff. I mean, in the NHL, like, look, there was a there was a feature story by the Avs reporter at the Colorado Gazette last week where he talked about how – Practice in the NHL for most of the teams is an open practice. It's not like the NFL where they build 15, 20-foot walls and they give the media a little small portion and no fans get to like – it's not secretive in that way. There really is no way to be bluffing and pretending like Gabe Landeskog is more hurt than he actually is or taking that extra precaution. If there was a clear timeline on Landeskog's return, they would have said it by now. And it's not even like they did any long-term injury reserve kind of shenaniganery at the trade deadline where they're like, wink, wink, he's out until the playoffs. Like there was nothing there for them to bluff. I think truly, genuinely what's happening is Gabe Landeskog shut shot his season down on March 12th last year in Carolina. He shot his regular season down. He had knee surgery. He was out until the playoffs. He came back. He played all 20 games in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and he played like – the best hockey of his career. He was unbelievable. I believe it was 11 goals, 11 assists, something of that nature. He didn't participate in a single practice or a single morning skate. All he did was play the games. They load managed him through any skate that wasn't a game because they knew he was dealing with this knee issue. Then he comes back to skate in August. He realizes the knee is acting up. He has knee surgery again in October. And now here we are. He still hasn't played. So whatever's going on with this knee issue, just like last year is not worth him coming back into the lineup and playing while her, I think genuinely there's two ways this is going to go about either. He's going to play in the playoffs like he did last year and load manage through it and figure it out in the offseason. And this time actually, whether they win the cup or not, whether they're celebrating all of June and July or not, they're going to get to this right when the Stanley cup final ends, because they waited until August without realizing his knee was going to act up again. Um, They're going to figure it out as soon as the offseason starts. So I think one of two things are going to happen. Either A, he's going to play the entire playoffs, also load managed for morning skates and practices. And he's going to be Gabe Landeskog. Like, yeah, I know he missed a year, but we've seen this in the NHL before. Players miss an entire year. They come back for the playoffs. They're still their same all-star self. He's either going to do that, or if we don't see him play at all, it's because he cannot do that again this year because if he does, it's going to affect his long-term health. It's going to affect his long-term career. So it's ultimately a coin flip. Like I'm giving you exactly what Jared Bender, and Chris McFarlane and everybody in the avalanches brass gives us whenever we ask, there's no clear answer yet on right. what's happening with Gabe Landis. Cause nobody knows the way he's been skating. He has been ramping it up, which is good. He has been on the ice consistently, no setbacks where he's had to come off, but nothing to say, you know, circle this date on your calendar. He's going to play. So, Who knows? Um, But if you're going to be that dynasty team that you want to be, the Tampa Bay Lightning once won a Stanley Cup where Steven Stamkos played like two shifts of one game in the Stanley Cup final, missed the entire playoff, scored a goal, and that was it. And if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. But right now, there's no answer. Nobody knows if Gabe's coming back. He's obviously a huge part of this team and will inject a lot of life into a team that's already playing well. But we just don't know when it's going to happen.
0: Yeah, you know, he's kind of the heartbeat of this team to an extent, you know, him being the captain. It, it, you know, I'm curious to see how it shakes out, but it has been quite a bit of time and you got to kind of trust the process here. And, you know, the luxury is when, when you're a Stanley Cup or a defending Stanley Cup champion. It's more about getting into the big dance as opposed to, you know, being the best team in a conference or whatever it might be. Just get in, roll the dice, and see where you go from there. And I think if Gabriel Landeskog plays, that obviously builds very, very well for the Colorado Avalanche. All right, let's move along here. Question from my guy, Logan. He says, which team presents the toughest matchup in a seven-game series? Is there one team in particular you'd like to avoid seeing early in the postseason? And I'm curious to see your answer here because looking at the standings, you got Dallas with 81 points, Minnesota with 79 points in the Central Division, and then in the Pacific Division, you got uh, Vegas with 82 points, the Kings with 82 points, and the Kraken with 80 points. And then you've got Ed, uh, the Oilers as well with 78. Where are you going here in regards to this answer? Is there any team early on you think the Avalanche should try to avoid or would like to avoid?
1: Early on doesn't really concern me. It's just in general. In general, the only team right now in the West that I think scares the avalanche and not scares them, because if you ask them, they can beat anybody. And why wouldn't you have that kind of mentality? But the only team that, in my opinion, should scare them is the Dallas Stars, because look, like right now, the the playoffs is shaping up in a way where Colorado could potentially end up first in the central. And if they do, they play the second wildcard team. And that second wildcard team, like you just listed the Pacific Division standings. I think it's three points that separate the top four. Like Vegas can fall down yes. into the wild card. Edmonton can fall down. Calgary could come up. Winnipeg can can switch with Nashville or Calgary. Like there could be any number of teams. If you're the number one team in the West or the number one team, I guess, in the division, whether you're first or second, any one of those wild card teams could be your matchup, whether you're number one or you're number two. You could right. be playing any number of teams. If you don't pass Dallas, it's shaping up like it's probably going to be a Colorado Minnesota 2-3 matchup. Minnesota doesn't concern me. Yes, they're a t- tough team, they're a heavy team, but the Avalanche could beat that team. They could beat Vegas. They could beat Edmonton again. They could beat Nazem Kadri and Calgary if they find a way to squeak in. They could beat the Winnipeg Jets. They could beat the LA Kings, the Seattle Kraken. Despite that loss yet on uh, Sunday, and you know they're playing LA on Thursday. We'll see how they do then. Right. They can beat any number of these teams. It's the Dallas Stars and their physicality is the only one. It just seems to be coming full circle. The last three series, the Avalanche have lost in the playoffs. In 2021, they lost to Pete DeBoer and the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. In 2020, they lost to the Dallas Stars. In 2019, they lost to Pete DeBoer and the San Jose Sharks. Well, now Pete DeBoer. Coaches the Dallas Stars. It's two things that you haven't been able to beat in this stretch with this core, and it's probably going to be the biggest tough, uh, the biggest and toughest challenge for you. So, if you get Landeskog back, things change. But even without Landeskog, you can beat the Dallas Stars. You just have to take that wake up call from the other day very seriously. You have to come out April first at Ball Arena against the Dallas Stars and play a much better game than you did the other day in Dallas, and um, you have to show that you can hang with this team. Because right now, the physicality of the Dallas Stars is what could get the Avalanche. They have to make sure that they can match up with that. They have a good goalie in in Alex Georgiev. They have that strong defense. And even the Dallas Stars, ultimately, they can beat them too. But that's the one that from the Western Conference, the Dallas Stars should present the only issue for the Avalanche this year. And I say should because... You never know. Hockey is a coin flip in the end. So the Western Conference isn't as strong as the East. The Avalanche, in my opinion, are still the class of the West. But just because you're the class, it doesn't mean you can take any
0: team lightly. So... uh to kind of feed off of that, let's go to a, the other question here asked by our guy Michael Ferrero. He says, "Do you think there is any chance that the A's could catch Dallas in the standings? I believe five points separate the two teams here. Dallas atop the Central Division with eighty-one points and re- with a record of thirty-four and seventeen. The Avalanche at thirty-five and twenty-one with their seventy-six points. What, what's kind of your gut feeling here about the Avalanche's chances to potentially catch Dallas in the standings before the regular season is over?"
1: It's very doable. They're only five points back, but the key is they have two games in hand and they play them once. So look, put it this way, five points back. Had Colorado won that game in regulation in Dallas the other day, you take two points away from Dallas, you give it to the Avalanche, they're one point back with two games in hand. One game makes all the difference. If that game on April 1st happened tonight and the Avalanche beat the Dallas Stars tonight, they would be three points back of the Dallas Stars with two games in hand. It's very reasonable and very doable. Those San Jose Sharks that they played yesterday, they play them two times in a row on the road in San Jose on a California road trip. They also have the Anaheim Ducks. They also have the Arizona Coyotes that you just mentioned. They have, I believe, another game against the Chicago Blackhawks, if I'm not mistaken. They have the Detroit Red Wings. They have the Montreal Canadiens. They have a lot of easy, simple games coming up. I believe Colorado has top three in terms of easiest schedule the rest of the way. Love that. So you can very much – make up a ton of points here. Even if you lose that game to Dallas, it's still within reach, but it's a little bit harder because then you're seven points back with two games in hand. So aside from that game, you only have another 19 games where you got to make up, you know, seven points in the standings with the two games in hand. So three to four points better than Dallas and Dallas has the tiebreaker. So aside from that game, I don't, I don't see it to be as unreasonable as many are saying. I mean, yes, Colorado just went on a stretch where they picked up one of six points, but before that, they won six straight games. They are 15, four, and three in their last 20, do the math, 22 games. Right. So it's very reasonable. Like there's 20 games left. Is it crazy to think Colorado can go 15 and five? Not really, because if they go 15 and five, Given how easy their schedule is the rest of the way, 15 and five brings you up to 50 wins. And suddenly, this poor season full of injuries and issues and bad luck, and they still hit 50 wins. Like it's very reasonable to do that. Right. But I will say it all starts with, well, obviously, it starts with tomorrow against the LA Kings, but it all is going to be centered around, I should say, the game on April 1st against the Dallas Stars at Ball Arena. Uh, because you need to win that game and preferably in regulation but even if you don't win it in regulation you need to get that game over
0: the Dallas stars because that one is going to be important for you to catch right yeah i'm excited man i mean this is the best part of like when the winter sports you get down and dirty with the you know between the nuggets and the avalanche here i know you and i were talking about you know you've got the avalanche who are you know getting healthier as the season progresses you've got the nuggets on the other side of things and i'm just both teams simultaneously playing well ball arena is a Rock in place right now, and that game against Dallas is gonna be electric. So I am looking forward to that. Just you talking about it. I'm like, yes, I can't wait. April 1st, circle it on the calendar. Here we go. Uh, but let's end it on an injury note here. A couple of updates, and I'm gonna sneak one in myself here. It sounds like Eric Johnson is already back in skating. Cover athlete of Mile High Sports magazine. Go check that out on the website. We've done some cool stuff with EJ. Any chance we see him and/or Josh Manson return before the playoffs? And then kind of the second part to this question is. Do they need to return before the playoffs? Kind of talking you know, about that luxury with the avalanche of having won a Stanley Cup. Do you think you want to prioritize you know, rest and recovery, make sure these guys are healthy, or is there a desire to get these guys back before so they can get their feet under them?
1: If they're ready to go, there is a desire to get their feet under them. Like, you know, the, the whole Gabe Landiscock scenario that I played out earlier of him potentially returning in the playoffs and jumping in game one, like – if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do and you'll take it. Like Gabe Landeskog number 92, let's bring him back in. But ideally you want him to come back a little bit earlier and get a little ramped up, a little up to speed here, get your feet under you. Uh same thing with Josh Manson and Eric Johnson. So uh, Jared Bender was very open about both of these guys. The other three updates were Landeskog no timeline, Helm no timeline, Frankie no timeline. But the three guys that matter mo- or the two guys that not matter most, but had the most positive updates. Number one was Eric Johnson. He said that when Eric Johnson was injured on February 11, the initial timeline was eight to 10 weeks. We are coming up on Saturday a four weeks of that. And he said, EJ is doing a lot. He's doing a lot better and ramping it up a lot quicker than he expected. Mm-hmm. He still said, I'd be surprised. And it would be kind of surprising to see him back before the eight week comments or before the eight week uh, timeline. But it's looking like between eight and nine weeks from February 11, you're going to see Eric Johnson, which brings you to right around games 80, 81, 82. So there is a big chance that Eric Johnson plays before the playoffs. On Josh Manson, and I know the Avalanche have been really bad with injury timelines, but the upfront. And very forward response that Jared gave makes me think that they are feeling a lot better about Josh Manson because he straight up said he expects Josh Manson to play by the end of March. Okay, so yeah. in this month, which would give him five, six, seven, eight games to ramp it up. Josh Manson's a big part of the team. The, here, here's the key of the Avalanche. They have not had, and I'm 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 going to include Eric Johnson, but you don't even have to include Eric Johnson in this bunch. They have their top five horses on defense. It's Taves, Makar, it's Byram, it's Manson, it's Sam Gerrard. And then whether you want to plug in EJ or JJ at number six, Eric Johnson or Jack Johnson, those top five guys are always going to have more ice time than that guy at number six. Mm. They haven't had all five of their horses in a game at the same time since November 4th.
0: My gosh. That sounds awful when you phrase because, it that
1: way. Yeah, because Manson and Byron missed a ton of time. Yes. But when Manson and Byron came back, Kale McCarr had his concussion issues. When Kale right. returned from his concussion issues, Josh Manson was injured again. They haven't had a game with all five of their defense. Like this is something that I talked about early in the season. From, from preseason in September, I've been harping this. The avalanche this year don't have the same offensive power that they did a year ago. Obviously, right. they still have Mikko Ranton scoring 42. He's going to be on pace for more than 50 goals. Nathan McKinnon's Nathan McKinnon. Kill McCar's Kill McCar. But when you lose Kadri and you lose Burakovsky, and you know, things aren't the way they were a year ago offensively. But defensively, they have one of the best defenses in the NHL when healthy, which I know Gabe Landeskog and Darren Helm and Pavel Francis all have that who knows timeline, but those guys aren't defensemen. The defensemen have the clear timelines. As long as knock on wood, nobody gets hurt along the way. While you're waiting for EJ and Manson, you have an incredible defense. And then you have one of the best goalies in the NHL this year that nobody is talking about. And Alexander Georgiev, who was third in the NHL in wins. He's fifth in the NHL in safe percentage. He's third in the NHL in shutouts. He is playing lights out hockey. The Avalanche are going to be carried by their defense and their goaltending this year as compared to what they used last year in the playoffs with, with their offense. So yeah. if they can get their five horses back and EJ at number six, and even if EJ's not ready, you got Jack Johnson at number six, you're going to feel a heck of a lot better about this team with Georgiev and goal and all of those horses in front of him.
0: Yeah, and you kind of just alluded to it. One, one kind of thought that I have here is at the goaltender position because Georgiev has been fantastic. But we've seen when you don't have Frankie that, the, you know, you kind of let go of the rope with the team. I know there's no update on getting Frankie back right now, but how do you feel the Avalanche will continue to you know monitor the situation with Georgiev giving him nights off? I forget which game it was this past weekend, but, you know, Georgiev was pulled at one point because they were just down a handful of goals. I mean, you, you don't want to ride the guy too much because he's been fantastic, but you also want to make sure he gets his rest but your backup isn't necessarily getting the job done. Yeah. How do you feel like the Avalanche will balance the goaltending situation down the stretch here?
1: That's a great question, and I think what they're going to do is they're going to give Annan, and Johansson, Kincaid, whichever one of them, if Frankie's not ready, they're going to give them some games against poor opponents. Because Eustace started two games. He started the St. Louis Blues right after they traded Ryan O'Reilly, a very beat-up and bruised and battered and emotionally gutted team, and he came out. he came through and won. The second game that Eustace Annan played, we just talked about it. It was the New Jersey Devils. They're third in the NHL. They are the third best team. They are an offensive powerhouse. And that guy that San Jose sold off and Timo Meyer now plays for the New Jersey Devils. Granted, he didn't play against the Avalanche. Right. But they added that to that lethal offense. So, you know, I just listed off all the easy games the Avalanche have. Could you have played Keith Kincaid or Eustace Annan against the San Jose Sharks at Ball Arena on March 7th and won that game? Yes. Yeah. The clear, the clear answer is yes. Yeah. So you can play him against maybe the Detroit Red Wings, maybe you know Keith Kincaid or Eustace and or even Johannes Johansson, whichever one of those guys. You can play him against the Detroit Red Wings, the Arizona Coyotes, two more games against the San Jose Sharks, two games in a row on the road. Like those should be easy games. The Anaheim Ducks, you have a ton of opportunity to get Georgi some rest. So Gorgiev, I mean, right now he's at 40, I want to say 44 games. Yeah the Avalanche have 20 along the way. So even if, or 20 to close out the year, even if he plays 15 of 20, 75% of the games, that'll put him at 59, which is a very reasonable, you know, maybe on the higher end in, in the modern NHL of how much a he plays, but it's a very reasonable number for a guy that since training camp has been saying, I want to be the number one, I want to play games. New, New York Rangers didn't give me an opportunity. And every right. time you bring up these stats to him, like you're the best at this and this and this and this, he's like, yeah, I know. Like he's such a confident guy yeah talking about it since preseason he knows that he's one of the nhl's greats and if he can repeat what he's doing this year two, three, four, five five more times people will refer to him as one of the nhl's greats he just needed that opportunity and he's getting it so Again, even if he plays 15 of the 20 games remaining, he still won't even hit that 60-game mark that you rarely see in the NHL. So I think they're going to be perfectly fine. You don't want him to get hurt. You don't want him to get mentally exhausted. But again, the easy schedule helps. Rantanen and McKinnon playing how they're playing help. Getting Manson and EJ back helps. Adding Josh, uh, Jack Johnson, adding Lars Eller and Matt Nieto and Dennis Malgin and having all this depth also helps.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it'll be interesting. You know, what'd you say? 20 or something games left down the stretch here? 20 to go. 25. I mean, we're coming right down to it. And it's an exciting time to be an Avalanche fan. We'll see how they kind of monitor that goaltending situation as well as getting some other players healthy down the stretch and away we go. Be sure to follow my guy, Arif Dean on social media at run, right Arif. check out his work online, MileHighSports.com. You can follow me at media by AP. I'm on afternoon drive, four to 6 PM, Monday through Friday. Check us out. We try to talk as much hockey as anybody in this town for the most part. So uh, always having fun with that. Arif, my man, great stuff today. Appreciate you big time. Anything you want to leave the listener with before we get out of here?
1: No, that's, that's basically it. Uh, obviously follow me on, on Twitter at runrightarif. check out hockey mountain, high, your go-to avalanche podcast. We're ramping up this morning. I was watching the documentary of last year's, uh, Stanley cup championship. And it just got got me energized to to travel and get into those games again, because the playoff, there's nothing like that atmosphere. And I'm, I'm so excited for it. We're five or six weeks away.
0: Good stuff. That's going to do it for us here on the latest Colorado avalanche AMA from mile high sports. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Be sure to get those tweets in next week. Kim Becker will be back then as well, and away we go. Let's see how the rest of the game shake out for the Avs. Have a good one, folks.